0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York and Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross
1: and Benjamin Kowalski.
0: Let's talk freight. Welcome back. Episode 154 of the Freight 360 podcast. This is a... I love doing these episodes. This is all Q&A because you guys have sent us so many questions. We're going to get to... I think we got like eight or nine of them today. So, some good stuff here. Uh, but first, welcome back. There's 153 other great episodes. Keep keep sending us your questions. We love doing these episodes like today, like I just said. And um, You keep sharing with your friends. Leave those reviews. We we, we love what's what's been going on lately. So... Um, I guess first things first, um, did you, well, hey, I was in Pittsburgh at the end of last week. So I had, a I had the, was it mini what was the sandwich called? Permanies. Permanies. So here's what I did not know. I, I thought it was a type of sandwich. It's a sandwich company. Correct.
1: Yep. Yes. It is. It is the actual name of the company.
0: Yeah. So they had it right at PNC Park. And um, the Red Sox won the first game I went to and they lost the second game. I I lost my voice um, the, <laughs> during the the second game because they were just playing so bad. Um, and I was like <laughs> just screaming at them. So I, I had like no voice for about two days after I got home. But it's it's pretty much 95 percent back this week. Um,
1: yeah, but but yeah, you had it was, some, uh, it you had was some good. Iron, I had some Iron City beers and some permani sandwiches. What permani sandwich did you have?
0: um it was called the Pittsburgher, i believe and it had like it came with slaw and whatever on top and then you said don't forget the hot sauce i added the hot sauce to it it was dude it was really really good and i was surprised too because i feel like normally when you go like even in buffalo like everyone knows buffalo for the chicken wings but and we have like in our airport or in the um sports arenas and stuff like that they'll have like a small little miniature version of those local places. Mm -hmm. And they're oftentimes not as good as the original, but so I was like, ah, it's probably going to be kind of a crappy sandwich. It was super good.
1: It's the same. So that's, what's interesting. Um, Well, I mean, I've been going there my entire life. There's one by where I went to college, but again, the sandwich came to, you know, came to be because of truck drivers going to the produce district and going in and said, Hey, you know, I got to go grab my load. Just throw my fries and my slaw in the sandwich, wrap it up. And I'm going to take it with me. And that's how it, you know, started. But the interesting thing to your point, all of the bread comes from the same place. So does all of the, all of the ingredients, like they're all sourced and baked in the same place. So like all of their locations taste exactly the same, even the ones. And again, I'm in Florida, so it's clearly not the same bread as you get in Pittsburgh, but almost identical. And I mean, I've eaten thousands of these in my life. And still to this day, when I eat them in Florida, they taste exactly the same as every other location I've ever had. That's awesome. So they have them in Florida, then? Yeah, there's two. There's one in I think South Beach or in Miami, and there's one in um, like Oakland Park, just north of Fort Lauderdale.
0: Nice, that's cool. Yeah, good stuff. And we went to Top Golf too, so I got swinging the clubs a little bit, or the I guess the the Top Golf clubs a little bit. And it was a good little uh, good trip down there to to Pittsburgh. So um, the Buffalo Bills had another Rockstar game um, Saturday. Pre, it's preseason, so whatever. But Josh Allen got out there for like three minutes, drove down the field, threw an awesome touchdown pass, and that's all the fans needed to see because they just this everyone just went nuts. So that's awesome. They, yeah, they beat up on um, Denver. So another you one were at of the game, weren't you?
1: teams. You went, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I was there. It was kids' day, so we took uh, yeah. took my oldest son for his first game, uh, and I think awesome. they're playing Friday night. Um, to close out the pre... Yeah, Friday night, Panthers, preseason, 7 o'clock. But yeah, should be good, man. Should be good. A- anything
1: uh, fun or else going on in the world of sports? Yeah, not really. Nothing that I've seen of late. Um no. Nah. Really? I'm just anxious. for I'm anxious for fall and fall weather to be coming around. I'm really sick of this 105 degree, 103 <laughs> degree.
0: Yeah. So we always know it's the summer's coming to an end when the, the Erie County Fair comes in town here in, in the Buffalo area. And once the fair is over, it's like a 10 day long county fair. And it's apparently one of the biggest county fairs in the country. Um, but, you know, when the fair is over. Like back to school is like two weeks away, and then everyone's gonna have their pumpkin spice everything. So uh, it's then started. all your fall beers come out. So it's good stuff. So Blake, hey, we got we got a good good episode today. We're doing a little bit on um, uh, prospecting and pricing and customer stuff. We're gonna do some stuff on starting up brokerage, and it's gonna be good. So, but first, let's give a, a shout out to our friends over at Dat.
1: Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT, the DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess without further ado, we're going to get into some of these questions here. Um, And these are in no particular order. These are just based on how I took them out of our, you know, when people reached out and, you know, commented and stuff. We just threw them in in no particular order here. So um, there's first one. This is good. So, um, you know, to give context to it, you know, when you're when you're new into brokerage and you start to talk with customers and they're they're giving you you know, like maybe a load list or send me pricing on this or whatever, um, you'll find yourself in a predicament where you're trying to figure out how do I get my customer to take our relationships mm-hmm. to the next level where they're, they're more trusting in me and commit to me. So the question that we got was how do I get a shipper to fully commit to me instead of just letting me work on some of their loads? So I think there's more backstory to it. Like, hey, you know, they're, they let me kind of dabble around with a couple of them, but never actually, I'm not getting tendered anything. Right, Like, hey, send, mm-hmm. me, send me your pricing. What can you, what can you do on this one? Um, so I'm curious. I, I want you to take the, take the lead on this one. Uh, you do a lot more coaching with folks than, than I do. But um, what have you seen with getting to that next level? I mean, my, my, my opinion and my experience tells me that it's it's all part of the process. And if you can distinguish yourself a little bit different than everybody else or ask the right questions, keep that conversation going you're going to have a better odds, but what is your, what's your biggest tip here?
1: So here's some, a few things. So the first thing is, why is this the case? Um, why it's the case is because they don't know you. They don't know if you're going to follow through, if you are going to be able to do what you said you've got, you're going to be able to do, right? It's that old adage, right? Like, I don't really care what you say. I care what you do. Right. So yeah. again, like we're just A name and somebody that they're willing to give an opportunity for right so the likelihood you're going to get some of their trusted freight or the things that they're worried about or their higher priority is very low again you have no track record with them they may believe everything you've said but it it remains to be seen right so one of the things is it's just moving loads moving loads is going to help build that relationship it's going to help build that track record every time you complete a load I say over-service it, make sure you're letting them know where it is, when it is, um, over-communicate. The more you can do that, the more it's going to drive home that you're doing what you say you're gonna do.
0: Yeah, so and I wanna just want to kinda like revisit the, and we've talked about this in the past, but kind of the phases you'll go through with a customer. So the first phase is you're, you're just prospecting, right? You're just trying to get them on the phone, learn a little bit about what they're dealing with, get them to have some kind of trust and build rapport between you and them, and then you'll get into the quoting phase, maybe working on some spot loads or a load list. And the goal is to eventually move yourself down to the point where when they have a load, they just give it to you. Right. That's the Holy grail. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's the Holy grail. Right. And it could be that that comes through a um, you're awarded a lane through a bid process, which we'll talk about that in another question, Um, or it could just be some of these smaller companies. You're their go-to on lanes X, Y, and Z. And whenever these lanes pop up, they're yours because you've already proven yourself to have strong capacity, reasonable pricing and excellent service in those specific lanes. Um, and then once you get to there, the next step is just to increase that, right? Get more lanes, add more customers and repeat the you know, rinse and
1: repeat. Here's Here's two, I think, are more high level advanced tips. One is you're not really building any relationship when you're emailing rates back and forth or just talking about the details of a load. That is building no relationship whatsoever. So you want to use every time they're reaching out to you, asking you about to work on something, use that to pick up the phone as a reason to speak to them again. Because every time you speak to them, you are getting closer to building a relationship. No relationships are built through text messages or emails. You can get details, you can get loads to work on. But to build a relationship, every time you're getting this, you want to pick up the phone and get in the habit of calling them. And asking them, verifying the details, talk about the market, add some insight into what you're seeing this lane, right? Hey, you know, the lane looked like it was about here yesterday. looks like it's around here today. looks like it's going in this direction. Do you need this picked up today? Is it urgent? Do your customer need this? Get more of the context and have a deeper level conversation every time you go to work on a load. That will increase the likelihood too.
0: Yeah, I've been. A, I'm always a big proponent of if you want something to get done, hop on the phone, right? Have that yes. have that two way communication uh, and get some context behind the load. So if they're like, "Hey, I've got this," if it's a a Friday morning and they're like, "Hey, you know what? What would your price be on this?" That's a great reason to call them up and get some context. Is this urgent? Does it have to go out before the weekend? And then you can mm-hmm. have those conversations to educate them on. Well, you know, hey, I know you're no you're probably no stranger to this, but if we have some time to work on this, here's a, a range of where we can probably get you a truck. But if this thing has to go today, we're going to be way above that range. And I'll do my best and I'll, I'll present you some options, but I just want to give you that feedback. So, And that's uh, huge,
1: right? To just break that down real quick is, you want to provide options, right? Because even if they're only going to choose and they just want to rate and they just need it move now, you want to be the person that's showing them you've got flexibility and you're able to work the market other than just Take a number and get a truck for it. Right. To your point, you almost I almost always give a range, especially if it's into the future. Even if it's today, I'm going to give them a range because the other thing a range does is if you can get them to allow you to work on it, sometimes I'm going to come in lower than what I said. And I might even have a thinner margin. But again, I'm doing that to show them that I'm not always just going to up my number sometimes I might be able to get it lower so again these are all these little things you can do to start giving yourself an advantage over the other people that you're competing against
0: yeah I, I, this is this this is the same with LTL as well so when someone says zip code to zip code it's three pallets here's the weight here's the freight class blah 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 right no LTL provider is going to give you the exact same price mm-hmm. no they might there might be some that are close but when you see like, Central transport coming in at the cheapest, and they're the cheapest by a hundred dollars versus the next, you know, Old Dominion or something else. There's a reason for that, right? Some of these LTL carriers are they are notorious for having, um, you know, if it's not a guaranteed shipment, it's not going to deliver in their two day window or whatever they claim the shipment time is, or their their rate of uh, damages overshort. Um, claims in general is a lot higher, which is why they come in at the cheaper price. And you can you have to give context to your customer when giving them those options. So I always that, without, I always
1: give like the top three. And there's no reason you should also be doing exactly what Nate explained with full truckload, right? Because not all trucks are created equal, not all trucks are the same age, not all trucks have the same out of service percentage, right? So one of the things I'm saying when I'm getting the context of the load when I'm calling that shipper is, hey, let me ask you. I mean, is this load a priority for your customer for you? And they might go, well, yeah, it needs to get there, but why? Because I'm going to go back and say, well, here, if we are working the lowest end of the rate, you know, we're going to get likely get an older truck that is more likely to maybe have an issue or possibly have a breakdown. If this is an urgent shipment, I suggest maybe you up the rate to get a newer truck and maybe a more reliable company for the exact same reason you would do it in LTO. So now again, I'm providing options back to my shipper, but I'm also pointing out something very important, that, hey, if you're gonna keep working on the low end of the market, you're more likely to have fallouts there. They might know that, they may not, but you're at least giving them the context back to the market, which they don't have, which is the value we add back to our customers.
0: Absolutely, and ask yourself this question, when you do this the right way, how many other brokers do you think are going this far in their relationship building with customers? Very, very few of them. So, good question though. All right. Next up is when should I apply for or no, let's see, when should I get my surety bond and complete my BOC three? So the, the, just to kind of go back to the basics here, the surety bond, that's you have to either have a seventy five thousand dollar bond in place or have a, a trust set up with seventy five thousand dollars in it um, to act as a sort of like an insurance policy in case you don't pay carriers. It'll pay out of that bond or out of that trust. And the BOC three is your designation of process agent. So having someone designated in all in every state that you're going to operate in um, to act as a essentially legal representative for you that can um, be served papers, um, legal documents on your behalf. So those two things, in, adi- in addition with having your authority granted, are the, the three golden tickets to be operation operational as a legal freight broker. Now, when do you get your bond and you do your process agents, BOC three? So once the FMCSA grants you your MC number, you'll get that in the mail. It's usually like four to six weeks after you apply and pay the application fee. You will then enter that 10 day protest period in which other, you know, anyone can protest as to why you should not be granted your full authority. But as soon as you get that MC number and in the mail and you enter that protest period, that is when you're eligible to go ahead and get your bond and get your process agents uh, designated. So I would not wait on that. It's, It's not very hard to do. It doesn't take very much time, but um, the sooner the better. You don't want to hold yourself up on anything. And another tip, shop around for surety bonds. We got another question on that in a little bit. Uh, And then the process agents, use a company, right? You can pay like 50 bucks or definitely under a hundred dollars to get it quickly done by a company that has a representative in all 50 states. And they'll just fill out that BOC3 for you. So yeah, so right away, as soon as you get that MC number in the mail. Uh, You got anything else to add to that? Pretty Pretty straightforward. straightforward. Yep. Yep. All right, next question. How do I verify if a carrier is hazmat certified? Have you ever moved hazmat before, Ben? I moved like six last week, hairspray. there you go. So there's like, I wanna, I'll give you the straight up answer then I'm gonna give you my advice. So just about every data point you need for a carrier, like if they have their authority or their insurance or their, you know, whatever, is all available through the FMCSA's website. Um, If you just go to the company snapshot and search them up, you can sift through. The issue is it's not very very efficient. It's not very easy to navigate through there. It's kind of an old archaic website, which is why, and I recommend doing this, there's these additional third-party companies that they take that data and they analyze it and they give it to you in a clean, easy to consume format. So, you know, like DAT has a carrier onboarding tool, uh, carrier monitoring service. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them out there. Uh, another example too, is like carrier lists that Kevin Hill is, uh, you know, helped get that going. They actually just rebranded I think it's called Highway now. Um, these companies will take that FMCSA data, clean it up for you, put it into an easy to view snapshot on your web browser, and give you additional insights as far as, like, you know, if there's any negative reports on them or risk of fraud or you name it, right? These third party vetting services will do all this for you and they'll tell you um, hazmat, like certification and their certification number. I wanna add to that, there are two requirements for hazmat when it comes to hauling a hazmat load. Number one, the carrier has to be certified. Number two, that specific driver needs to be certified to do that. And if there's something like a, a tanker, there's got to be a tanker endorsement on there. Um, so you want to make sure, like like I said, FMCSA, there's a lot of data there. It's worth the little bit of money it costs to have a third-party service to do this this job for you. It takes the weight off your shoulders of, you know, it offsets risk. It makes it all clean and it, it, it speeds up the process for you. But um, it's all there. I know, like, so at Pierce... Um, we use McLeod as our TMS and all of our onboarding through like every integration we have, it pulls it all right into McLeod. So we can see in there if they have a hazmat certification number and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's there on FMCSA tracks that it's all done through department of transportation. They're the ones that actually give the certification for motor carriers, but um, yeah, use a third party integration. They're not very expensive and it's well worth <laughs> So, I my- would
1: add two things. One, make sure you know the UN or the class number. They are all different. Not every hazmat certified carrier can run every type of hazmat. Tanker endorsement is a very good example of that. Um, also, you want to make sure you verify that they've got the insurance as well, that they are insured to carry that hazmat. So check the deck pages as well.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, you'll you'll probably find um, – some of these carriers that are hauling specialized stuff, like, I mean, it could be machinery, hazmat, whatever, but they, they will tend to carry a higher cargo policy because that's all they specialize in. Like So this morning, just to fact check myself and make sure I'm not an idiot when I answer these questions, I went and I looked at a handful of hazmat carriers and I found a lot of them are, they're very small niche, like eight trucks, 10 trucks, and they all they only operate in like one or two states or a very select region, Um because that's, that's their corner of the market. So, um, yeah. And, but they're also, their insurance they carry was much like they're carrying higher than a hundred thousand dollars in cargo. If what they're typically hauling has a higher value than that. So like if you're hauling ammunition for the department of defense or something like that, there's a much higher uh, value on those loads than there is for, you know, paper or lumber. So,
1: yep. And then and sometimes when you get into some of the other stuff, there's also like cleanup. Um, it's related to insurance, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But I remembered I'd moved something a long time ago that was like a liquid hazmat, and they were we were required, our carriers were required to have an insurance rider for like hazmat cleanup. So if it was a, if there was an accident, like clearly to clean that up is exponentially more expensive than a normal accident right like different crews have to come up they have to like literally do certain things to make sure that like it doesn't seep into the ground so it's one thing that I and again I can't remember what it was called but it was like a rider for like a cleanup um on the insurance on the hazmat side but and I I want to add
0: outside of hazmat you brought up a, a good point on insurance is that that insurance certificate that you see doesn't tell you the full picture it gives you It gives you coverage dates and it gives you the policy limits and, you know, deductibles, all that stuff. But it doesn't always list exclusions or additional riders in there. And if your customer has a certain kind of food and we've used like seafood in the past, right? Frozen seafood. There are a lot of insurance companies that have they'll have exclusions for seafood written in there. Or it could be certain types of produce like they might exclude um, like berries or so, anything that has a high claims value. So just double check if you're if you know that you've got kind of a strange, unique type of commodity. Verify, and you might you might have to ask the carrier to verify via email or have their insurance agent send you a, a an email just so you can cover your butt that states this is covered. There are no exclusions on this, and this rider is included.
1: So here's a couple of those. I found a couple of the things that are in there. Insurance coverages for hazmat trucking. So you've got collision and comprehensive. You have downtime. The one I was referring to is pollution liability. An essential component of effective hazmat trucking insurance policies, pollution liability coverage can help cover the cost of cleanup if a spill were to occur. This type of hazmat trucking coverage also accounts for damages that occur as a result of a spill.
0: Pollution. Got it. Yeah, no, that's big, man. That's huge. All right. uh, Next question. How do I price or quote loads? So this is a very one-on-one level question. Um, I'm going to start off with some two basic ways to do it. I'm going to talk technology. I'm going to talk actually dealing with carriers. So if you have a, let's, we'll just give you a, a basic lane, right? Let's say you're going from Chicago to Atlanta. Okay. One of the things you can do is to go on like a rate view or some kind of a rating tool and get an idea of what the average range is for that lane and that equipment type over the last three days, seven days, as accurate as you can get, right? That's one way to be able to get a basic example. And then, you you know, you have to add your margin in there. The other way is get on the phone with carriers, right? You can post that load up or out call carriers in that area and, Talk to them and see what the going rate is right now on that specific lane. And there's nothing more accurate and current than doing that.
1: What else would you add in there? So my three go-tos, I usually just as a habit, I go, I look at um, rate view. I want to look at where it's trending. Is it trending up? Is it trending down? Is it staying level based on how far out in the future it is? If it's today, not as relevant. If it's a week from now, I want to know where it's moving. Second yep. thing I look at is I look at the load boards and I search by rate to see, what are people paying to move this right now? Usually the highest rates are the things that need to go out in the next few hours. So again, they're gonna be paying above market, but you can get a good idea on what it would cost if this had to go in like the next hour or two from the load board, right? You also see what everyone else is trying to pay. And then the third one is just like you said, throw up some posts when you get some phone calls, say, hey, I'm working on this load to go out in a couple of days. What would you guys run this for? And then you're going to get, between those three numbers, you're going to get a really good idea on kind of where you need to be. And that's pretty much it. I mean, those are your three. Yeah. And I want to, I want to emphasize history, something here. Is, load um, history and your own TMS is the, the fourth, I'd say. Yeah. And I would say that you
0: could kind of group that in with like a, you know, rate view or something like that. It's just a rating tool. Um, I'll emphasize this too, is that if you look at your TMS history, DAT, let's say sonar from freight waves rate made from truck stop no none of them are gonna have the exact same ad, like median right. average right you're gonna get all different data points because they're coming from different sets of data so use those all collectively to give yourself a rough range estimate of where the market is because again you know what one driver is getting paid is not necessarily going to be exactly what another driver is going to be willing to haul that load for. It could be higher. It could be lower It all. It depends on the day of the week, depends on what's going on in their life and what's important to them. Um, so you, ha- you have to, like I, like you said before, you give a range to your customer. That's a very, very smart move because it gives you wiggle room. And if you, you have your margin built in there, it gives you a sliding range as well of you know, Hey, I I hope to make 15% on this, but I actually, you know, I might only make 10 Right? maybe I can get 18 out of it, depending on what kind of uh, carrier I can get on this, on this um, lane for, or this load for me. So.
1: Well, a few other things too. You can also leverage this to go back to the answer to the first question, right? Like someone saying, how do you get tender loads, tendered directly to you? So you're not just working on loads, right? I'll use that range to get the tender sometimes like, look, Hey, I'll probably be around 12 to 1600 on this. And if they're like, oh, you know, I need a, I need a set rate. All right, well, send it over for 15. I'll guarantee it. I'll take it for 15. If I got to pay more, I'll take the loss. But I'm going to use quid pro quo. I'll give you a range. You tell me you want a definite number. I'll give you the definite number, but you got to give me the load, right? So it's quid pro quo. You give them a range on where you think you'll be. And if I'm competing with everybody else, then that's perfectly fine. The other thing to point out is the context, the price of a load that needs moved today needs moved this afternoon or needs moved over the next three days or the next week are all different prices. Because if you've got longer period of time, you've got a higher likelihood you'll pay on the lower end of the average. If it's got to be picked up today, probably going to be in the middle or the higher end. If it needs picked up in the next few hours, by the end of the day, you're probably only on the higher end because you've got less amount of trucks to pick through to get them to work for you. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. All right. Um, next question. How can I filter prospects by the shipping destination and the specific example that they were asking was, uh, I want Seattle to Las Vegas, um, is, is the lane he's looking to run. So I'm assuming he's got a carrier that's looking for that specific lane. Um, I mean, my common sense tells me you prospect companies in Seattle. (laughs) <laughs> See
1: yeah i mean there is no way to search lanes of prospects because they don't put that information public it's not out there the only way you can right. get it is through conversations or through an rfp like seeing their actual lanes so what i would suggest is if you've got carriers that have lanes they're asking you about work both sides start prospecting seattle start calling and saying hey do you guys run anything to vegas or back from vegas because just because they're on one side doesn't mean they're not tendering the loads coming back to them or outbound. So you theoretically could find this lane on either side. And I would also, to not further complicate it, but honestly, there are companies that are based all over the country that might ship this lane that don't necessarily need to be physically located in Seattle or Vegas. I just think your most the most likely way to find this lane is to call both sides, Seattle and Vegas, and to just ask
0: Yep, um, and then in case the question is being asked different, like just filtering, um, so may, maybe you have a database or a CRM full of prospects already. It should be pretty simple to filter by location. You definitely want to have that that customer's outbound location as a as a data point in your CRM so you know where they're located. Um, not, I want to give you a, a step further, right? Like a little bonus tip here. If you're prospecting a customer that's shipping in that lane, do some market analysis. Go through the load boards. See what kind of capacity is being posted in that lane. See what kind of competition other you have with other brokers that are posting freight in that
1: lane and give that insight back to your customer. Here's another one. That same that same tip that you just put out there, right? Search the lane on the lo- search that lane on the load boards, and then just start calling them and ask what commodities are in those loads write down the commodities that are shipping from Seattle, Vegas. Now you've got a pretty good idea on what actually moves from Vegas to Seattle. Now you can start prospecting some of those commodities as well to make it a little more likely.
0: Yep. So Seattle to Vegas, I'm going to assume um, the Northwest has a lot of apples. I don't yeah, know if we're talking
1: definitely. produce. Um, I was just thinking that. I'm thinking you got apples, you got lumber coming out of Seattle. You don't, most of the stuff coming out of Vegas is usually like they They're hauled there from the port in Cali. It's like desert. There's not a lot of produce. There's not much growing. Yeah, I don't or think or they produce. I,
0: I would assume Vegas is a higher consumer than they are a producer. I mean, there's a lot
1: of warehouses cause it's desert. So there's a lot of just space out there where people yep. have cargo.
0: Very true, very true. I bet you get a lot of building materials that get shipped in there too with constantly mm-hmm. new casinos being built. So, uh, and housing, right? I mean, the Vegas housing market blew yep. up in the past.
1: Building materials probably, maybe not right now. I get but some lumber
0: coming out. Yeah, a lot of lumber's coming from
1: Seattle probably down to Vegas.
0: All right, next question, um, speaking of RFPs um what does an RFP or a bid package include what instructions does it usually provide so they're all a little bit different i'll give you some of my experience and i'm curious what you want to add from your end um i have seen a super big like thousand lane style RFP that was multiple um stages rounds but, and I've also seen, like, quick little mini-bids. So I'll, I'll give you the the big example. We were doing it for a, a manufacturer that does um, uh, heat exchangers. So it's, like, they would do stuff for, like, big machinery, like, chips, like anything that uses a heat exchanger. Um, and they were nationwide, okay? And they had, I think it was three rounds in the bid, and there was, like, over a 1,000 different potential lanes. And it gave very very clear instructions it was like an entire day to read through everything because here's what it did is it it gave you instructions on the timeline of the bid it gave you instructions on the how each round works and it gave you a format for how you have to submit your bid um, it gave you instructions on how you're gonna you're gonna receive feedback and what you're supposed to do with that feedback after each round um, it obviously gives all the lane information. So it gave like origin to destination, equipment type, the frequency of that. So, for example, it might say like um, Buffalo, New York to, I don't know, Toronto, Canada, 50 loads per year, flatbed, you know, something like that, right? So you'll see all that lane density, lane information. Then you get some of those really low density lanes where it's like, Average hauls per year, one, because they did one last year or something like that. Um, but what's good about those big detailed ones is once you get through all like the just the murkiness of trying to understand how they're doing it, you have so much information. So you can pick and choose the the actual lanes that you want to focus on in your bed. You can see, well, they moved one of these last year. I'm not going to focus on that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, oh, this one right here. They have a good, you know, they're doing four or five a week, and I already know that I have carriers that are that typically look for a backhaul in that lane. I'm going to work on this one. So those are some of the big, like the bigger ones I've seen. I've seen little ones too, where they're just like, um, "This is a mini bid for the next month. Here's the lanes. Give us your best pricing. Whoever gets the best pricing wins. One round. Um, that's it. And you might want to hop on the phone and call that customer and get a little bit more
1: information." Um, what do you think? What's your take? So they should have the exact amount of information you need to run it if you're an asset company. So it should have first come, first serve, right? Appointments. It should have the load volumes, the details, the securing requirements, the equipment that can load. Um, also, how the, sometimes how the appointments are actually even requested and scheduled, right? That all should be there. But to the same thing, like every shipper does this, however they feel like doing it. So again, yeah. I've people, also there's no seen, law on how you have to do a bid. Yeah. I've seen some of these that literally just have destinations. Like literally nothing else. Like I've seen people send them like 25 cities and I'm like well, what is it They're like that's the RFP. Well clearly you've got to call back and get the rest of that information. And in that case They all shipped out of the same location and they just assumed everybody that worked with them knew they only shipped out of one location. And every load was just, we'll say it lumber, they all needed four foot tarps and they were all the same. They were all loaded to scale. So that's why there weren't other details because they're literally identical. But again, I'll give the same advice again to the first question, which is use these as as like ways to get back on the phone. Like there's not always something interesting to talk to your customer about. Use these opportunities to get on the phone and to ask questions. Ask questions like, hey, are there any lanes that you guys are having issues with in this RFP? Are there any lanes that you guys have had other carriers bid on that have been rejected or they keep giving you back? Do you have some that you need more help on than others, right? You want to be able to be as valuable as you can to them, right? So having these conversations always helps. The bigger ones, they're not necessarily gonna be able to give you that much, maybe a little bit, but the more information you can have, the better. You also wanna know how these RFPs are gonna be applied to your point, like, is it just lowest truck wins? is that all the rates are going to be entered into a TMS where they're like a waterfall system. Meaning I was just going to wrap the waterfall the, concept. Yeah, The cheapest truck gets the first. If they reject it, it goes to the next cheap. But if they reject it, it goes to the third and so on and so forth, all the way until sometimes it hits the spot market. So you want to know where, what they're going to do with the information once they have it as well. Um, you also want to know how quickly or when they tender the loads once they're actually want, you guys have them far ahead of time. Are they giving them to you same day? like, you want to be able to ask and have as much of a conversation around this as you can, because that's also going to help you build a better relationship anyway.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the waterfall thing's big, because if you understand that the lowest bid wins, but it gets tender to them if they rejected it. And if just to explain waterfall, right? First person gets it, they say, nope, I don't want it. It waterfalls right. down to whoever was the second best bid. And if they reject it, it goes down to the next best one right so if you know that you can price yourself a little bit higher in some of these lanes knowing that you're gonna probably get a maybe 5 10 fifteen percent of those lanes offered to you in which case you don't have to fully commit yourself to them they can be waterfall down to the next one but if you know if you get a little bit a little bit extra meat on that uh, rate and you can pick up all those additional lanes that get rejected by you know the, the big boys out there that are notorious for bidding super cheap. That shows your value. Uh, and I think I used this example before. So that that massive bid that I was talking about, there's a bunch of lanes that we did not win, but we moved a bunch of freight for them that year, a lot more than the year prior, because we weren't the number one, but we had reliable service that previous year and, and decent rates that when the big boys out there rejected all these tenders,
1: they came to us then. So. And that's a pretty big strategy. Two last points on that that I want to point out is, one, your objective in an RFP is not to quote every lane the shipper is not expecting you to quote every lane in that RFP, specifically the bigger ones, right? Even the bigger carriers don't usually quote every lane. They quote the ones that are a fit for their carriers or their other lanes they're running or their organization. So one, the expectation is that you're not going to try to bid every one of them. You want to be able to bid the ones that are a good fit for you. And remember, think about where you are in the relationship. If you've been moving freight with this this customer for a year or two, probably gonna be bidding the lanes you've been running plus a few more. If you've never won any lanes and you're trying to get onboarded, you're not gonna try to you know put 200 lanes in here. Pick 25 or 30 that match up with some of the other lanes you're running where you can get a reliable carrier at a reasonable rate. And again, just because you're not the cheapest doesn't mean you won't win business throughout the year. A lot of companies intentionally, and this is done a lot through the SDDC and the military bids, like we would never try to be the win. We wanted to be like third, fourth or fifth in a lot of the lanes because we knew the first two or three would fall out or they would get rejected or they couldn't even get a truck for the rates they were quoting. So again, you didn't get everyone, but the ones you did get, you had a decent margin and you didn't have to bang your head against the wall trying to find a truck without enough money in it.
0: Yeah, I want to add into this one last caveat is understand the consequence of being awarded a bid and kicking it or a lane and kicking it back. Is there, is there a consequence? So we had,
1: we're not even being able to cover it in the first place, right? Like to your point, like you win the bid and think about what you're going to do if you don't have enough money to cover it.
0: Are you going to eat a loss? Right. So like, for example, there, we did a, we did a contract through so like U S postal service during their peak season at the end of the year, they have a lot of big brokerages that are awarded these Contracts And then those brokerages co-broker out through a bid process a lot of these, a, a lot of the, the freight. So we had one and they I think they changed it to one year where they're like, you have to move these. If you don't, you're not allowed to play next year type thing. Like if you kick That's- a single load back, you're not allowed to play next year, which so means the S- you are forced to take a yes. loss. On certain lanes, if you don't price them
1: accurately, so and the military does that with the SDDC. A lot of them, like you get penalized, and if you get dinged or they write you up, you literally get pulled out of all of the military freight for like thirty to forty-five days. Yeah. So like, there's a penalty when you keep rejecting, it. and they do that intentionally because in the freight world, they're non-binding contracts. Meaning, even if you agree to a rate and you don't pick it up, there's no penalty for it, other than you damage the relationship. Exactly.
0: We got two more questions here, but first, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in near shore staffing solutions with offices in South America and now over in the Philippines as well, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, Visit them online at www.leangroup.com. And we should be having a uh, guest from Lean On sometime in the next month or so um, to be determined. So, all right. Next question. How can I get a surety bond if I was denied by one company? Um, And there was more context, right? He is not a U.S. citizen. And when they went and ran his credit, he has no credit. Right. So naturally, if uh, so, if you if you understand how a surety bond is priced, it's like an insurance product. They're going to look at your risk and determine how much they need you to pay for it to be worth them to extend that risk. The same thing if someone's extending you credit for anything. Right. I'm going to give you if you look at your customers. Right. If you're going to extend one hundred thousand dollars in credit, you want to make sure that this customer has a track record of paying their bills on time. It isn't carrying too much of a debt burden that's gonna make you worried about them paying their transportation expenses. So, in this case, um, the first my first tip here is continue to shop around, right? Not, just because one person turned you down doesn't mean that every single person is gonna turn you down. Now, for the reason of this guy being foreign and he doesn't have US credit that he can really use to give any evidence, um, there is a process called manual underwriting when it comes to things like this. And, that, you know, so like, let's say someone doesn't have a credit score because they don't have any debt or uh, whatever, right? You can do a process called manual underwriting where they will they will verify in other ways that you're not risky, right? So it could be um, pro- like for a personal credit, it'd be like proof of income, right? Things like that. You can prove that you've paid your cell phone bill every single month, like little things like that. Now, if you're looking at a surety bond, you know, what assets do you have as collateral potentially, or something, you know, things like that. Or just talk to a, a human being on the phone and ask them what is it that you're looking for that you, in order to manually approve me for this since I don't have a, a credit rating for my business or a credit score as an individual. Uh, and just find out what is it that they're looking at? What do they want to see? And then you can figure out what you need to do in order to meet those criteria. But again, continue to shop around, see if other companies have different policies. Um, you also have the third, the other option of doing the trust instead of the surety bond. But um, if you're trying to get a bond, I'm guessing you don't have 75K. You can just lock up in a trust. So, uh, I mean, you worked in the, the banking world in the past. Would you add anything else when it comes to this? Because people ask us all the time, even as a broker, like, how do you know, I don't really have any credit carriers that want to work with me. What do I do? Do you have any advice on the kind of the manual things you can do?
1: No, I mean, we've talked about that quite a bit more on the credit side, just, you know, working with maybe factoring companies that have carrier bases, putting some cash up, um, doing some of those things. But again, like that's one of those things that's just really difficult to do. There's always this, there's this, I don't know, whatever call called a cliche, they always used to laugh when we were in banking or they would talk about, even like customers and people just say it like, you know, banks give you the money once you don't need it, right? Like, and that's the irony, right? When you first start and you have no credit, when you really need the debt, like nobody wants to give it to you because you've got no track record. Once you have the track record, you typically don't need it as much. And I mean, that's just the way the credit markets work. I mean, you've got to find creative ways to build some track record or to maybe even work with another company until you can save up some money to get to that place. Um, but again, I, we know this is being done. I mean, I've got clients that are overseas that have broken. brokerages, Brokerages that are completely outside of the US. So it's being done. It's just like anything else. You know, I mean, if you've got a little bit higher of a hurdle, you've got to get creative to get around it. Make those phone calls, ask lots of questions, and ask for advice, you know, until you can find a way and somebody that's going to be able to help you get there.
0: Yeah. And that leads us to our next question. And actually, I'm going to kind of combine two questions here. The question was Can I be a freight agent from overseas? But I also wanted to add in someone else did ask us about. Or are they? I don't know if they asked me or asked us. Was can I register as? Can I become an an authorized or licensed freight broker if I'm outside not a of the U.S. citizen? If I'm outside yep. of the U.S.? Um, let's go with the agent one first because it's easy. Absolutely, you can become yes. an agent from overseas. Um, I've had I've had agents that lived in um, Canada, Mexico, uh, Costa Rica. Colombia, um, Eastern Europe, India. I talked to a guy from Australia. We never ended up doing anything, but um, the, the only difference Venezuela, is- Venezuela,
1: Ukraine, Serbia, Bosnia, Canada, Romania. Mexico, Romania, this is just in the past six months, India.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, here's the only difference, right? Because the brokerage is already licensed. So to subcontract- an agent they don't need to be licensed you nope. just you're just 1099ing them so, so the only difference is instead of a w9 that they would fill out as a, a us citizen or a us entity they would fill out a w8ben which is a for, uh, what is it called the uh, declaration of like for, foreign income or something like it's basically an independent contractor tax form if you're not in the united states
1: yeah so it's like w9 to
0: yeah. w8 you can look it up but yeah you can definitely do that now Can you register a free brokerage if you are not a a U.S. citizen? Also, the answer is yes. It's a bit of a trickier process because in order to register using the um, unified registration system on the FMCSA's website. So basically, when you're going to set up your brokerage online and get your authority, the FMCSA is going to require you to have either a social security number or an employee identification number, which is your EIN. Like, it's it's like a company's code, social FID. security number, yeah. Yeah, it's like your business is social. Um, and there are ways to do that if you're not a, a US citizen. Um, in the United States, we are big advocates of inter- doing international business, right? So, and a lot of the business that we do requires contractors and you know folks that don't live in the United States. So there is a way for, if you're not, it's different paperwork, a little bit different process, but you can register and get an LLC, a U.S.-based LLC, if you're not a U.S. citizen. It's just a little bit different. And there's companies and services out there that will do this. You pay them a fee, but they will do a whole bunch for you. They'll, they'll help you establish your LLC. So basically, you start by picking which state do I want to go set up my LLC in. And there's, you know, based on tax laws and things like that, you know, you probably want to talk to one of these companies that does this. They'll advise you, like Wyoming's a big one that they recommend. Um, Delaware, I've heard as well. Um, but what they'll do is they'll help you get the LLC. They'll help. Then once you have the LLC and you have a tax ID number, or you apply for that, you get a tax ID number, then you can get a U.S. bank. You can get a U.S. mailing address that they'll have, um, that they'll basically create for you, a physical mailing address. They'll even designate an um, an agent for, like a process agent for you in that state that can receive and send legal paperwork Or contract-based items on your behalf, so it's kind of like like almost like a power of attorney for your U.S.-based LLC. So once you have all that and you're totally set up, now you have a U.S. bank, a U.S. tax ID number, a um, U.S. address, and and you're and you're you're a foreigner, right? But we, you know, there's a lot of business business that happens in the U.S. in which folks from out of the country establish businesses to get involved in that industry. So. Uh, but then you can go through the registration process on FMCSA's website and then put all your information and you're good to go. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes, <laughs> it takes a little bit of time, but it can be done. A simple Google search will probably result you numerous ads for companies that are advertising for services like that. It's completely legal. You can absolutely do it. So,
1: um, yeah, we've seen a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of it. And a lot during the pandemic, I think, too. Um, yeah.
0: I think the, the agency model is definitely more prevalent with um, folks overseas because it, there's a lot less barriers to entry because you don't have to be uh, a U.S. citizen and you don't have to have a, a, a U.S.-based LLC or anything like that. So, But yeah, good stuff. Great questions. We got through a lot of them today, man.
1: Yeah, it was a really you good episode. Um, we'll get a lot more of these, too, on a daily and weekly basis. I mean – I'd say we probably get per day what we used to get per week six, seven months ago. So, I mean, keep them yep. coming. Keep sending us. We got, we're going to start doing some YouTube shorts and some other stuff to keep answering these questions. So, whatever you have, ask them. Either throw them on YouTube in the comments. You can send them to info at freight360.net. You can fill out a contact form on our website. However you want to reach us, they all come to the same place.
0: And if you guys have an episode topic request or a YouTube video request or a blog request, anything – Send them over our way because that's a great, great way for us to continue to deliver content that you all want to consume. So yep. we appreciate the feedback. Good stuff, man. Well, we're uh, almost into September here now. It's crazy to think that. Man, the end of the well, year is off the
1: year, right around the corner than you thought.
0: Hey, last tip, right? If you're, um, you know, if you do anything seasonal with Christmas trees or peak season U.S. mail or anything that gets crazier towards the end of the year and holidays, now is a great time to start getting in touch with people. Thanksgiving
1: Every commodities, Thanksgiving commodities. all the stuff you see on your Thanksgiving table is going to be shipping. And again, it takes about 45 to 60 days to build a relationship with a prospect. So you starting there now is a good time to start prospecting Thanksgiving stuff as well as Halloween stuff, um, pumpkins, I mean, all of that stuff that you're gonna start seeing in the fall is gonna be shipping, start making those phone calls, start building those relationships now. Yep. Good
0: stuff, man. You got any closing thoughts here?
1: Uh, happy Independence Day to all of our listeners over in Ukraine.
0: Um, That's right, yeah. yeah. We record Today's on Wednesday, Wednesday, so the 24th here, it is It is uh, Independence Day in Ukraine. Yeah, so a few days delayed, but
1: yeah, happy Independence yeah. Day. And-
0: <laughs> uh, what else you got,
1: Ben? And whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.
0: That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see
1: our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more and make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.